Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. guys and welcome back to the dream bigger podcast if you're new here or if you need a refresher i'm your host sif and i'm the founder of icing and glitter which is a blog instagram page and youtube channel okay so i am super excited to introduce you to our guest for today but first a quick reminder to leave the show a review if you enjoy it it only takes like five seconds and as a thank you i'm sending a beauty goodie back to everyone who subscribes and leaves a review just send me a screenshot to sifat.h.in1 at gmail.com Gabrielle Korn is the editor-in-chief of Nylon Magazine. She also happens to be the youngest editor-in-chief of Nylon's history. No big deal. Nylon recently took the magazine fully digital, and Gabrielle paid, played a vital role in that whole process. Her background is also refreshingly original. She started her career in queer and feminist media before moving on to Refinery29 and finally ending up at Nylon. Guys, if you've ever wanted a behind-the-scenes look at what it's like to be an editor and lead a publication fearlessly, then this is an episode for you. So with that, let's welcome Gabrielle to the Dream Bigger podcast. Okay, Gabrielle, so obviously I stopped you before our interview, and you've had quite the career trajectory. So to start, I wanted to know about your time in university and how you transitioned into magazines. Sure. So I was in NYU's Gallatin School of Individualized Study, mm-hmm. mostly because I didn't want to have to take math in college. Yeah. Struggle. More science. So um, I could pretty much learn about whatever I wanted to, which mm-hmm. ended up being a concentration in queer and feminist theory and writing. Mm-hmm. And I was really interested in um, those two movements and um, you know what their relevance was. It was, it was just things that I was passionate about and what I loved reading about, and I've always been someone who loves writing, so that was a very natural fit. Mm-hmm. And my senior year of college, I was interning at the Feminist Press, which mm-hmm. is a book publisher in CUNY, mm-hmm. and I got really lucky because I, as an intern, I was able to help edit a memoir that was written by a woman who was the editor-in-chief of a feminist journal, and she was publishing it in the basement of the abortion clinic that she ran, and that business was what her memoir was about. And when I graduated, I went to work for her as an editorial assistant, Mm -hmm. and I did that for about a year, and then I left to try to do freelance writing, which was hard. Yeah. Um, You know, no one says that freelancing is easy, but um, 
So I was basically just taking any gig I could get. Right. So it was like, it was a lot of writing, but it was also writing press releases and recapping shows and, you know, creating marketing materials for people, just whatever I kind of paying thing I could get my mm-hmm. hands on. And eventually I applied for a part-time contributing editor gig at Otter's Travel. And they had held an open call for writers um, around the subject of her story, so like lesbian history. And one of my other internships in college had been at the Lesbian Her Story Archives. And my project was to archive their graphics collection. And I, one of the things that I archived was this incredible poster that had like two topless women and like some funny thing. And it was from the 70s. And this is a really long-winded story, but I ended up writing an article about that poster because after I archived it, we found the two women in it, and it had this incredible backstory. So I pitched that story to Auto Travel, and they, after that went up, they ended up bringing me on as a contributing editor, and mm-hmm. I started a fashion column, and um, that was really fun because no one really talks to queer women about fashion, especially about fashion that's so it was really rewarding and then um, after about a year of that I just got sick of being like broke and of being like always unsure of where my next paycheck was coming from mm-hmm. so I applied for a production assistant job at Refinery 29 and they um, the person who hired me was familiar with my work from Otter Straddle and so as I, it was like it felt like a miracle like I sent my resume in and they emailed me back right away and brought me and then all of a sudden, I had a job there. That's amazing. Yeah, it was cool. And um, I was 24. And uh, right after I started, or maybe a few months after I started, they shifted strategy from being kind of like a small, like niche boutique site to being like a giant content creator. So yeah. my my beauty team was responsible for three to five stories a day when I started. And mm. all of a sudden, they needed to produce 18. So even though I was brought on as a production assistant, mm. there was all this opportunity to write. Right. So I was writing and writing and writing, and my writing was pretty successful, so it was promoted very quickly. And so within a year and a half, by the time I left, I was the beauty editor. That's amazing. How do you think like that that transition, like tell me about that, because I mean it is quite different from you what you started off doing. Yeah, it it was really different, but also it wasn't that different because my way of writing about beauty was about kind of critically analyzing the industry mm-hmm. and I was able to write things like about human rights violations and nail salons and about like diversity and representation and the ways in which the beauty industry has kind of failed women. And I also like I love beauty, like I'm I've always been like a hair and makeup person. Mm-hmm. So it was like it wasn't like I was just kind of, I don't know, like I wasn't negging it. Like I was like, this is something we all love, but like how do we make it better? So it really felt like my training, my like academic training prepared me for thinking about it in like a critical, critically analytic way. Yeah, and I think that that, you've, you've kind of brought that onto nylon as well, I feel like. I mean, it, I can see that sort of like critical thinking, like, translate over onto your role here as well which brings me to your role at nylon so you after refinery 21 29 like talk to me about how you went into like you you came on as a senior editor here right Right. like what was that trajectory like yeah so 
I eventually just got really sick of only writing about beauty, mm. and the opportunity at Nylon was to work across verticals, mm. and that was super appealing to me because I felt like I had more to say. Right. So I, you know, and I came on at a time when Nylon knew that they had to build out their digital presence, but they hadn't really invested mm. in it. So they had amazing brand recognition. They had a big social following, but they weren't really doing too much original content in that space. So it was this great opportunity to come on and help define what the brand meant for the digital era. And I, I mean, I used what I learned at Refinery, which was like SEO and traffic and, you know, all these like internet bootcamp things that were really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. So you went from digital director at mm -hmm. Nylon to editor in chief. What was that transition like? In a lot of ways, it didn't really feel like that much of a transition mm -hmm. because we were the majority of content that we were putting online was original. Yeah. The magazine basically gave us a cover story and it gave us one story a day to put online. And the rest, we were all creating. So by the time the book folded, I had a full team that I was running. I was already overseeing social media, video, edit, and digital art. Mm -hmm. So. Um, in that way, it didn't change that much internally. It was more of an outward-facing thing of right. getting recognition for the work that I had done and that my team had done. And then, I, I mean, the biggest change was being able to make the structural changes that I wanted to and make the cover stars. And um, that's that's the first thing that I did. Like, day one, mm -hmm. I sat down and I looked at all of the monthly themes that print had been using, that we had been piggybacking off of, and I changed them. And, um, so Nylon went digital recently, and I think that it was like it could have been a risky move if it wasn't executed well, which it was. Um, so right now, like obviously the publication world, it's it's an I think we're in an interesting time. So I wanted to talk to you about the importance of evolving with the times because I think like magazines need to kind of like be wary of that. I think. Yeah, totally. I think it's so important to understand how readers are reading. Yeah. Because if you are working in a format that's not convenient for people, they're not going to buy it. And then, like, who are you making it mm -hmm. for? Like, we're writing for the people who are reading it. We're making photo shoots for the people who are looking at the photo shoots. You have to then give it to them in a way that they want. You have to meet them where they're at. Otherwise, it's, there's no point. Mm -hmm. So I think in order to keep doing what we're doing, we had to just be digital because our readers are young and they're digitally native and that's just how they consume content. Right. And you were talking about like the format of I guess picking cover stars. Like how did that like how did you change that? Like tell me about that a little more. Sure. So I made a promise to always have a majority of women of color on the cover. And um, so that's like baseline and then it's a combination of intuition and statistics and people who have projects coming out so we can tell because of our digital tools who is resonating with our readers and who's not um, so I pick people that I know they like um, and uh, yeah so again like coming back to this um, nylon is one of the most racially diverse, LGBTQ-friendly, and politically aware magazines that are there right now. Like, aside from the cover star situation that you talk about, like, how else do you go about pushing that? Sure. So, 
I try to be really value-based in my editorial strategy, right. and I hire people who feel the same way. Uh -huh. So we make sure that our stances are readily available and that every single thing we write has a purpose, because people ultimately aren't coming to Malin for hard news. They're coming to us for an opinion. So we are free to have that opinion be very apparent. Like, mm -hmm. we don't have to pretend like we're middle of the road we're not mm -hmm. so I really encourage my writers to take a stance and then within that the values are that we're strongly anti-racist which to me is different from being inclusive because it means you talk about racism instead of just kind of representing people um, and then I say we're queer encompassing instead of we're like instead of saying that there's LGBT content because I think it's really important to you know, have everyone be on the same page and not like silo out communities mm -hmm. and like label your content as that. Like everything should feel kind of queer. A queer person shouldn't have to go to a specific article to feel like they're represented. I, I love that. And I think that it's great because I think the reason why nylon is so successful in this field is because you you've kind of you have that style and that vision, I think, that like you, you push that forward and it's so apparent like with I think the way that your like the website is like everything like the articles are and I think it's refreshing to see a magazine be opinionated I think it's important like yeah I think you do such a such a good job yeah I, I love it um so with magazines increasing their digital presence and the world of content creators really growing how do you see the two working together like do you think that they can work synergistically because I'm personally of the opinion that there's enough space for both parties on the internet yeah, I mean, I think the bottom line is that content is content. Yes. And people need to start thinking about it like that. Like, it doesn't matter if it's on a page or a dot-com or an Instagram. Like, it's content that you're consuming. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, like, of course there's room to work together. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we could all stand to be a little bit less precious about our platforms. Yes, I, I definitely agree. Um, do you, like, do you guys ever work with content creators, like, what is the future for Nylon in that in that sense, I guess? Yeah, we, do you mean, like, influencers, or? Yeah. Yeah, we do, I mean, we, I just hate that word, that's yeah. why I, like, avoid <laughs> using know, it. there's a specific kind of content creator that's going to be more on brand for us than others. I like people that have, you know, a strong political statement to make. I like people who have a career and social imprint because of that career. Mm -hmm. Um, rather than, you know, like creating content for the sake of content. I right. think like that's the time for us. Um, but what's tricky is that social media has made it so that magazines are competing directly with content creators on Instagram. Instagram doesn't make a magazine look any prettier than it makes an influencer. So I think in order to not be competing and instead to just have synergy, like there needs to be an acknowledgement on both sides. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And I, I think that they, I mean, they can. Like, I don't see any reason why not because, I mean, there's there's enough space and I think the two are separate avenues at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think people want different things from content creators than they want Absolutely, from absolutely. Like, I think that personally, like, with me, like, I consume both and from magazines, I'm looking for something completely different than what I'm looking for from, like, another content creator. Like, I might go and see what kind of, like, I don't know, like, how to style a dress, but from a magazine, like, I, I want something different. Like, I want more, like, newsy or, like, 
opinion pieces. So yeah, like I think that there's definitely space for the two of them. So it's it's nice to see that an editor also kind of feels the same way. Yeah, totally. I mean, I love shopping other people's Instagrams. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. totally. <laughs> okay, so um, I wanted to ask you, what is a day in the life of an editor? It is so hard to answer that question because there is obviously no normal day. Totally. Um, but so I manage a team of 17 people mm-hmm. and I meet with all of them once a week. Okay. So there's always that. There's a lot of meetings, a lot of brainstorms, a lot of, um, you know, checking analytics, coming up with ideas, mm-hmm. taking phone calls. And then I go to events all the time. So I'm like in and out of the office all day going to press previews and mm-hmm beauty events and interviews and um, the events are before work and during work and after work and <laughs> lots of you know, lots of events it depends on the season yeah the day. Um, yeah usually the most consistent thing is that I'm just running yeah <laughs> so with all that going on do you have any productivity hacks it's not a specific productivity hack but I really feel like a lot of times people spend more time complaining or worrying about everything they have to do rather than just doing it. Yeah. So um, I really like to just power through and just get things done. Um, I I mean, but I'm not ever going to be the most organized or productive person. Like, I am not on top of my inbox. I, I can only imagine it's probably overflowing. It's overflowing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think the best hack is, like, just to go easy on yourself. I think it's that's a good tip. And I think, like, just getting it done as, as opposed to complaining, like, definitely yeah. a good tip as well. So with that, do you have a wellness tip that you can share? I really believe in sleep. Yes. It's not talked about <laughs> it's enough. It's not talked about. Like, and also this thing about, like, eight hours of sleep. I do not feel okay in eight hours of sleep. I need nothing. Yeah. And, um... I will prioritize that above all else, and it's, like, the only way I can do my job. I think it's also a beauty hack. Like, they call it beauty sleep for a reason. Like, I look haggard when I get seven hours of sleep, which is currently right now, and I feel like I I feel haggard. (laughs) Very sweet, but it's nice. Thank you. It's nice to hear someone speak about the importance of sleep because it is super, super important. Yeah, and, like, I don't know how all of these editors go to late-night events. Like... If it's 10 o'clock on a Wednesday and I'm not on the couch in my pajamas, like, I will be very sad the next day. And that's the thing. Like, being tired feels like sadness. Oh, my gosh. Totally. Right? Yes. And I just, I don't have time. <laughs> so true. Yeah, I honestly, like, I'm, I'm 27, and yet I feel like I have the soul of, like, a 50-year-old. Like, my dad and I have the same sort of bedtime, like, you know, like, 9, 10 p.m. Oh, I love bedtime. It's so great. Yeah. It like it's the answer to all my problems. Like it's so great. Um, and so you come from a beauty background, and Nylon did the beauty hit list as well, which I loved, by the way. So I have some product specific questions for you because I'm sure that you have so many like so good many. yeah tips and tricks for beauty products. So first things first, if you could recommend one skincare product to splurge on, what would it be? A skincare product to splurge on. Okay. Here's the thing. I'm kind of a skincare truther. Do it. So I have really sensitive skin and mm. really bad acne. And I, I swear to God, I could not tell. Thank you. Your because I'm perfect. insane. 
and have like figured out the only way to not break out, which is to use next to nothing in terms of skincare. Really? Like, I I have a dermatologist, yeah. an esthetician, and I have products that they give me for breakouts, and then otherwise I just use like Embryo Lease Moisturizer and Simple Face Wash. Really? And um, I really think that like people don't need all of the stuff that they put on their skin. I think the only thing that I really stand behind buying is eye cream. And I think Drunk Elegant's eye cream is the best one. Really? It's really expensive, but it's really worth it. Good tip and good to know. I mean, like, yeah, if, if it doesn't work with your sensitive skin, like, it might be a good tip for our listeners as well. So, and your skin looks great, so I couldn't even tell you had, like, a history with acne or anything. Um, favorite sunscreen? If, do you use any? MD Solar Sciences. Okay. Why do you love it? It is a physical sunscreen, not a chemical mm-hmm. sunscreen, so that means it sits on top of your skin instead yes. of sinking in, mm-hmm. which means I don't break out. Really good tip for people who do break out. Um... Okay, so do you do you prefer more like I guess natural products in that in that case, like you know, like the ones that have like you know no no chemicals or like toxin free or whatever? Interestingly, just because it's natural doesn't mean it's not going to irritate you, mm-hmm. as my esthetician likes to say. Wismaggy is also natural, so for me, it's the chemically stuff that I can tolerate. I don't do toxic, but synthetic is fine. Um, Anything that's like gonna cause a reaction in your skin, like when it says it's gonna brighten or improve texture, like I can't, I can't touch any of that. Really, and that's like the organic stuff. Wow, that is so interesting. Yeah, and I mean, I, I only learned it when I became a beauty editor. I was like experimenting on my own face, and then my skin became the worst it had ever been in my entire life. And I had been on Accutane, and it all of my acne came back while I was using like the most expensive products out there. Whoa. Okay, so your skincare routine is simple, but talk to me about visiting your esthetician and dermatologist. Like, give me all the details. How often do you go? Like, what do they do on you? All the all the details. Yeah, I haven't been in a while, but my esthetician, um, when my skin was really bad, was seeing me once a week, mm-hmm. and um, she would do extra- a full phase of extractions, and then a peel, and then light therapy. And I did that once a week for about six months until everything was cleared up. So you you do believe in extractions then? They work for you? Same. I mean, but I think you also have to do something afterwards because you'll scar. Yes. So I think either appeal or light. Okay, good to know. So um, I wanted to talk to you then about advice you can offer to someone who is looking to get into publishing. I think it's actually a really good time to try to go into publishing, contrary to what everyone thinks, because even though like magazines are changing form and things are combining and rolling up, everyone still needs content. Mm-hmm. So if you are a writer and you're a good writer and you have ideas, it's an amazing time to be you, because everybody needs you. And I think the people who are currently in media are so kind of burnt out on the news cycle that to have someone new who has like, you know, a thousand stories that they want to write, like that's amazing. So I would say, um, just start pitching. How, what, like what stands out to you? Like how should someone pitch? Like what is the right format? Because I know that we have some people in our audience who are younger, who are really interested in getting into this world. So like what stands out to you as an editor? If it's an idea I haven't heard before, but that also I know people will want to read. 
Um, like it can't be too out there that it won't appeal to anybody, but it definitely can't be something we've touched on before. And then I need a brief email. Like I need like a, hey, this is who I am. This is the headline. This is two to three sentences about the story. Here's some links to my other work so that you know I'm legit. So what if someone wants to specifically work for Nylon? Like come join your team permanently. Like what, what would get them noticed? Like what do you look for? Ultimately, I look for a strong writer because all of the jobs here are so writing heavy. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, there are a lot of people who think they want to work at a magazine who have an idea of what it entails, and um, those are generally not the people who are the strongest writers. Right. Okay, interesting. So, last question. I'm obsessed with morning routines, and I wanted you to walk me through yours. So, I have two cups of coffee, and then I feed my dog, and I take her out. Yeah. And then I take the world's quickest shower. I wash my hair like once a week. So um, I'm the same. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm the absolute same. I feel like since I started doing that, like my hair looks healthier. So. Oh yeah. And it saves you so much time in the morning. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine like showering every single day in the morning. Like no, I can't either. Oh no no no. Like and drying my hair after it's like a whole thing. Yeah. I do it at night. Yeah, yeah. It's the right way to go. Um so then uh, I don't know, I get dressed really quickly, do my makeup really quickly. And then my girlfriend and I take the subway together every day. That's so cute. Yeah. Um, do you like do you make time to work out later on during the day? Like is that a Yeah, I work out at night usually. Okay, and do you do that alone? Like what are your tips for actually getting to the gym with such a crazy schedule? I go to bar classes. Love it. And um, I just I found one that I really love mm -hmm. and um, yeah, I mean I try to sign up for them in advance so that I really hold myself to going. But they're I mean I don't always go. I try to go like three or four times a week. That's good. Yeah. With I mean, with your schedule, I think that's really, really good. I know. It's like sometimes I have to choose between. Um, I don't know. It's like it's like you can't. You literally can't do everything. No. No. So you're always. You just have to accept that you're always going to be saying no to something in order to do something else. I mean. Like, I read somewhere that you can only be really, really good at, like, I think it was, like, two or maybe three things. And I feel like it's so true. Like, if you're, if you've had, like, a crazy rough day at work and then you have to, or, like, a crazy, just, like, a demanding day at work and then you also have plans with, like, your girlfriend and then you want to get in your sleep, then, like, something's got to go. You know what I mean? And yeah, <laughs> sometimes it's, totally. like, the, the gym if you want to make time to actually like get in those like eight nine hours of sleep you know yeah I mean yeah especially like in New York I my commute is 45 minutes so that's already a huge chunk of time yeah it's like that's it's all gone yeah <laughs> okay awesome well thank you so much and before before we wrap where can everyone find you social um, media all that kind of yeah. stuff yeah on Instagram I'm Gabrielle Horn G-A-G-R-I-E-L-L-E-K-O-R-N and on Twitter I'm that with an Amazing. Thank you so much for being Thank here. Thank you.